0: They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem, and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things, and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us?
1: For the power of the Lord is moving in this place. He comes to cleanse, to heal, to minister his grace. No work too hard for him. In faith receive from him. Be still. For the power of the Lord is moving in this place. Amen. We have an incredible journey to go on this morning. Now the Bible has many incredible journeys. How about Abraham? He left the home he knew and he went where God wanted, not knowing where he would end up. How about God's people, led out of slavery from Egypt, taken to the promised land? Taken through a sea, taken through a river, taken through on dry ground. Then they let the Lord down and crowded God's substitutes into their lives. And they had to be exiled. And then the Lord, in his mercy, brings them back from Babylon to Jerusalem. How about the journey of Jesus that we'll be thinking about pretty soon? That great journey from heaven to be born a baby at Bethlehem. And fulfil all those scriptures concerning him. What a mercy mission. To save the whole of mankind from sin. And everything that's wrong. Truly the resurrection and the life. And after Jesus returning from the dead. He's returned to heaven to resume that place of glory. What a journey that was. You can read about it in Daniel 7.13. A place of glory at the Father's right hand. The United Nations Agency called this Times in Which We Live, they've come out with a report and it says uncertain times and unsettled minds. These are uncertain times and unsettled minds. We live, they say, in times of unprecedented change. We live in a world of worry. A new uncertainty complex is emerging of the like that we've never seen before in human history. I think they're right. I think they're right. But we have the answer. The future may feel a lot like an untravelled road. And it is, isn't it? The Bible puts it so wonderfully. Joshua says, you have not passed this way before. And then Deuteronomy tells us, you will not pass this way again. That's the wonder of the past, present and future. Welcome to the road to Emmaus this morning. It's a story of a sad journey. But in Jesus' company, it becomes such a glad journey. What was it that put Emmaus on the map? What was it that gives it a unique place it enjoys in history? First and foremost, because the Lord Jesus was there. Anywhere where Jesus is, that is the place to be. He came there on resurrection day. It was seen by Mary in the garden, by Peter, though maybe not sure where. But the immense story is all about the risen Lord Jesus. And that's why it has a worth and a wonder all of its own. And then it's because it's the home of a follower of Jesus. Without that, there would be no Emmaus story. God has placed us in our homes. Why? To be a lighthouse reflecting the light of Christ. He hasn't placed us randomly. He has set the times appointed for us. Emmaus is not only the home of a disciple. It's also the goal of a memorable journey. As the disciples set out from Jerusalem that day, they never imagined their journey would make history. And be celebrated now by Christians down through the ages. Now Jesus kept his identity secret. The disciples thought they were sending a sad tale to a stranger. But in reality, they were talking to Jesus about himself. What a good thing to do. It's, it was a sad journey. What a sad journey. Can you hear in verse 21 the echoes of the deepest sadness? We hoped. We hoped. We hoped it had been He who would have redeemed Israel. We hoped. It's a confession of hopes that have died, dreams that have perished. Do you know that feeling? Have you ever had a situation where you've really hoped for something, but sadly, it hasn't happened? It was a sad journey, but it was made a glad journey. You see, Christ knew they'd lost hope, and He knew what they needed. They didn't need a seminar. They didn't need a jab in the ribs. What they needed was Jesus to come alongside. And that's what we need this morning. Desperately need. He still comes alongside those without hope today. And that's the good news. And as they listen to Jesus speaking, time just flies. They reach the outskirts of the village before they know it. He's such a wonderful companion. And that shortens every distance. When you walk with Jesus, no other walk like it. Walk and talk. Walking and talking with Jesus, wonderful. It's so good to talk to Jesus because he's the best listener ever. You get, you're talking to somebody, you see they've looked away, they've switched off, they're not even listening to you. Jesus is never like that. You listen to his people. He's the best listener ever. Is he waiting to hear your voice and mine this morning? The journey to Emmaus becomes the scene of an amazing discovery. They've reached their destination so quickly. Because they're going in Jesus' company. Jesus doesn't presume on their friendship. He makes it so he's going on. But they urge him, come on, it's getting late. Share our food, share our home. But they recognize there's something unique, something special, something different about this stranger. They reach home, the table is quickly spread, and then Jesus breaks the bread. Their eyes are opened by the Spirit, and they know him. Some people say, well, maybe they were there when the 5,000 were fed. And they remembered the way Jesus broke the bread. I don't know whether that's true or not. But I do know that the Holy Spirit is at work today. And through the word which we are receiving this morning. He opens blind eyes to see the risen Lord Jesus. And he wants to make our hearts burn with love for him this morning. And then Jesus was gone all of a sudden. It wasn't a ghost or a phantom. It was an objective experience of a living person. They had walked that day with Christ alive from the dead. And it tells us as we pass by a wonderful thing. Jesus just doesn't live in an ivory tower or in a palace. and never go out. He's the Christ of the common road. Where there's one traveller, he makes it two. Where there's two, he makes it three. Walking with Jesus, we will never, ever lack company. You'll never walk alone. With Jesus, you will never, ever walk alone. Whether it's through storm or calm, whether it's through day or night, and when it's through life or death, you will never, ever walk alone. What a friend we have in Jesus, who is alive from the dead. That's what we're doing today. We celebrate Resurrection Day every Sunday. And Jesus comes alongside because he knows when the need is greatest. He will come alongside always, but when the need is greatest, he was especially come alongside. You see, it was a doubting journey. The stories that have been brought to these travellers of Jesus' resurrection seem... Just like stories to them. They were really despondent. Their hopes had been shattered. They looked for somebody they thought would be the redemption, the consoler of Israel. There's a saying that hope deferred makes a heart sick. These high hopes that they had, being disappointed, are almost enough to kill off the spirit. It had been the third day since Jesus had been crucified. When expected, it was expected that Jesus would rise again and show himself. This time in honor, whereas three days before it has been in shame of the cross, but all is silent. They'd heard the report about Jesus rising, but they don't speak of it with any real confidence or belief. They knew some people had seen the empty tomb. They knew a vision of angels had been seen which said Jesus was alive. But him they saw not. That was the difference. They doubt the reports of the resurrection. Because Jesus has not shown himself to them. Who does that remind us of? Thomas, doesn't it? Uh, unless I can put my hands in those wounds, I'm never going to believe that he is risen. But their, no, their hopes were now to his cross. Their hopes were buried in his grave. So what was the travellers' real problem? Jesus always puts his finger on the problem. They were slow to believe God's word. And it reminds us this morning we have an adversary. His name is Satan. He's a father of lies. He's a murderer of souls. He's a stealer of sermons. Even now he's probably beginning to think of what you're going to have for lunch when you should be focusing on God's word. And many of his darts are aimed at this book. And the very first time he sent how did he do it for our first parents? Did God say sowing the seeds of doubt. Had they known the word more surely, had they trusted the word more surely, had they seen in the scriptures the work of God, the hand of God working behind events, they would have been less likely to distrust God's truth. So the risen Lord Jesus points them to his passion and he does it through the Old Testament word. Never discard the Old Testament because it speaks wonderful things and it points us to Christ. Christ. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things before he entered his glory? What a wonderful question. Verse 26. The travellers could not reconcile themselves to this cross of shame, the curse of the cross. But Jesus is telling them the Messiah must suffer. Three, a tiny Greek word, DEI. It must be. It is necessary. How can Jesus be a saviour unless he's a sufferer? As you read towards the end of Isaiah, you will see the suffering servant speaking of Jesus 700 years later. You can't have a crown of glory unless you've already had a crown of thoughts. That's the way that God works. We were thinking of Pilgrim's Progress earlier and Christian on his journey meets up with somebody called Giant Despair, he gets lost in Doubting Castle. I wonder if you're in Doubting Castle this morning. What did he need? Again, he didn't need any special words, any special tokens. He needed a key, a key of promise. Now, apart from me, we're all sitting on the premises this morning. The question is, are we standing on the promises? Because that's what we meant to do. Somebody's calculated that there are more than 2,000 promises in this book. 2,000. That's a lot of promises. So if we're this morning thinking that I've done terrible things, God's never going to forgive me. 1 John one seven will tell us this morning that the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from every sin. If you've trusted in Jesus, there is nothing that will not be forgiven. So if you're worrying about that, that worry's gone this morning because of Jesus, because of God's word. Do we feel lonely? A lot of people suffer loneliness. And our wonderful God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The Greek is so strong, I can't convey it. I will never, ever leave you. I will never, ever forsake it. It's never going to happen. It's impossible for that to happen. And if you've got something that seems like a mountain to climb, you just don't know how you're going to do it. Paul was never a can-do person. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the secret. That's the secret to life. As the secret for the church work. A doubting journey, but then a reviving journey. Emmaus was their original destination. Now it becomes a starting point for another journey. As they were traveling to Emmaus, they were downcast, they were despondent, they were tired. There's lots of people like that today. But Christ knew they'd lost hope. He knew that what they needed most was for him to come alongside. That was the only thing that would change it. Changed the situation. And they found that meeting Jesus, walking with Jesus, alive from the dead, gave them a renewed vitality for the future. Faith in the risen Lord Jesus was confirmed and hope was strengthened and love was re- revived. Jesus lives the world as a wonderful saviour. That's why we can go out those doors at the end of this service and we can go out with a bounce from God. Christ expounded to them. How the Old Testament scriptures were fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. Beginning at Moses he progressed through the whole prophets, the whole Old Testament and found that they pointed to Christ. Christ is the central character of the scriptures. He is the living word. He is a perfect person to unlock the word, to interpret the word. And the word properly understood always speaks of him. We find prophecy, we find promise, we find prayer, we find type. There's a golden thread of gospel grace that is run seamless through the whole Old Testament and it's all fulfilled perfectly in Jesus in the new. The things concerning Christ must be expounded. What would I have given to have heard that exposition? I'd love to run out of this pulpit and let the Lord do that sermon and we could be blessed beyond measure. It would be wonderful, wouldn't it? The best ever expositor of the word, especially the scripture about himself. My hope this morning is that the Holy Spirit will make our hearts burn within us as Christ speaks his words into our hearts and lives today. It's a message for us this morning. Only Jesus can make sense of the things that baffle and confuse us. You see, to the two travellers, the whole situation seemed meaningless. Their hopes and dreams have gone. We were hoping They were the words of those whose hopes were dead and buried. But as Christ came along and talked with them, the darkness, despair is dispelled by the light of Christ. We do do live in uncertain times. We are surrounded by unsettled minds. So we need nothing less than the warmth of Christ within. John Wesley was a member of the Holy Club. That's where he started, the Oxford Holy Club. And they Tried to have a lot of discipline in doing their holiness and their religious, religious stuff, but then he went to that little church. He happened to—it happened to be the Bible often uses that phrase. It happened that John Wesley went past this little church in Aldersgate. I think I'll go in there. That was God saying, "You go in there." And when he heard the gospel being preached, his heart was strangely warmed. That was the beginning of the conversion of John Wesley who went on to be used so powerfully of God in that revival that followed. That's what we need this morning, our hearts to be strangely warmed by Jesus. And the gospel message is that only in Christ crucified and risen can God transform lives. That's the only way it can be done. And he does it so wonderfully in the weakest, the lowliest, the poorest in spirit. He does it in somebody who's been sectioned in mental health and brings them up here to speak this morning. That's what Jesus does. Why? Because Jesus is in the restoration business. We had a, um, a prayer meeting for the FIC area recently. We heard about Seamus. He's a prisoner in a prison not too far away. I better not say any more about him. But he has wonderfully become a Christian. And his light as a witness in that prison is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. that's what God can do. It's decision time for you and me this morning. You see, Jesus didn't force himself on them. He made as if he was going on. He waited for an invite to their home and to their hearts. And apart from his own son, God has given to mankind the greatest but also the most perilous gift in the world. Can you guess what it is? It's the gift of free will. It's the gift of free will. So we can use it this morning to invite Christ to enter our hearts and homes... Or we can say no and allow him to pass on. As the true travellers received the good news with such great joy, they were so quick to share it. You know when somebody's a Christian because they'll be quick to share that news. It was a seven-mile tramp for the weary travellers to return to Jerusalem. But you wouldn't have known it. They could not keep the good news of meeting with Jesus to themselves. It was impossible. They had to share it. It has been said that the Christian message is never fully airs until we shared it with someone else. And I think that's right. So what's the bottom line for us this morning? As they reach Jerusalem, they share the joy of seeing the risen Christ with others. It's the glory of us this morning, brothers and sisters, to live in the fellowship of the church, where we all have this same experience of the saving love of God. We leave the Emmaus Road this morning with that picture of Holman Hunt, showing Jesus Christ. The light of the world knocking at the heart's door. You probably know that picture. Hanging up in Keywood College in Oxford. And it connects with that verse in the Bible of Revelation 3.20. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Now the door looks all manky and there's uh, weeds and roots growing up against it. It hasn't been open for ever or a long time. The heart of mankind is by nature closed by ignorance, by unbelief against Christ, the light of the world. But he still knocks at that overgrown, long unopened door of the heart. It almost looks, if you look at the picture carefully, as though he's about to turn away. Maybe he's been locked in a long time and he's sort of just moving away. As Jesus finds the door closed, he is so gentle. He is so patient. He doesn't leave straight away. He doesn't break the door down. It would be easy for him to do that. He doesn't do it. His knocking and his waiting shows us God's respect for our human soul. He just longs for the weak and the wounded and the brokenhearted to open the door. And the Holy Spirit this morning speaks to us through his word. He will impulse the Holy Spirit on our mind. Through the mirror of that word we see ourselves as we really are. Ah! In God's sight, how bad that is. Our need For Jesus, by whose wounds we are healed. I've never got to the bottom of that, how one person's wounds can heal somebody else. But it's a wonder that Jesus' wounds can mean I'm healed. It's a blessing beyond all blessings, healed by his wounds. So what's that first step to the cleansing Christ brings and the new life through the Spirit? To recognise it's Jesus who's knocking... The step of obedience is key. We've got to stir ourselves. We've got to do something. We can't speak through the door. We can't dictate our terms. You come in if you do this or this. It doesn't work. Our response to his voice is serious because it's key to our eternal well-being. It's as important as that. His voice must arrest our attention. We must shut out the clamour of this world. A passing feeling is a passing feeling. But a passing Christ is a passing stranger, at least until our eyes are opened by his saving grace and love. In the picture, there's no handle on the outside. It remains to be opened by the person inside. Delay weakens our souls, which either go forward or backward. We have a call this morning to take Jesus into our inmost being, to be the soul of our soul, the life of our life. Jesus maybe has a long time been knocking at that door so he can share his self with you and you with him. He wants to make your heart his own. He wants to make your heart his home. We finish with the words of Spurgeon. Only open the door to him and drive out his enemies. Give him the keys of your heart and he will dwell there forever. What a wonderful love that brings such a guest to live in such an unworthy heart. Will the Emmaus story mark a key moment in your life as you open that door to Jesus? May the Lord Christ Himself come alongside and come within our lives. May make it so
0: for His glory. Amen.